Hey everyone, uh, thanks so much for being here this weekend. My name is Josh, I'm one of our pastors here at Grace. I get to work with our life groups and uh, get to connect there and work with our leaders. And uh, sometimes I get to speak on the weekend and so I'm excited to be up closing out this series. Um, we have been in this series for a couple weeks now. We're starting a new one next week. So that's an exciting time to invite friends and jump back in. Um, and Pastor Jeff will be back next week as well. So he's been traveling a bit. We have a multi-campus network that we're a part of and other uh, partner organizations that uh, Pastor Jeff is involved with. And so uh, he's our senior pastor and we'll be excited to have him back next week for that series. And uh, so for this series, what we've been doing is we've been talking about uh, God, me, and my inadequacies. And um, really what we're trying to to address is that what we think about ourselves is very important. Um, we may not think about what we're thinking about very much. You know, we might not always know what we're thinking about ourselves, but uh, the first week we started talking about these narratives and these scripts that kind of play out in our head that we tell ourselves, we start believing about ourselves, and they have a very dominating effect in every part of our life. And uh, so it's really helpful sometimes to stop and pause and think about what those narratives are and how they begin to form in us. And um, if you're like me and what we've been addressing in this series is you're gonna bump up against a lot of your inadequacies. Um, you're gonna bump up against your own failures and weaknesses. And so that's going to sometimes leave us really in questioning who we are or who we thought we were. And uh, how do we deal with that? How do we deal with those scripts that are playing out in our heads? And so uh, what we've been doing is we've been going to see who God is and what he says about us, how he gives us, uh, kind of redeems our identity. He tells us who we are and how that's different from those kind of default and normal scripts that we have. And so to do that, uh, we've been in the book of Ephesians. Uh, so you can pull that up on the app. Uh, there's Bibles actually in the chairs right uh, in front of you, uh, underneath. And if you grab one of those, it's on page 947. And we've just been in Ephesians 1 for three weeks now. And uh, this is an awesome uh, book of the Bible if you've never read it. It's, it's only six chapters long. And this whole first chapter is dedicated to laying a foundation for what it means to have an identity that God has given us. One based upon who he is and what he's done, and what he says about us. And so this is really helpful. I think this is something we, uh, a lot of us wrestle with. Uh, we deal with fear and anxiety and adequacy, and uh, we want to know, what do I do with that? What does God think about me in the midst of that, and how am I supposed to handle it? And so one of the verses in Ephesians 1 that we keep coming back to is in verses 18 and 19, where uh, the author Paul, he prays this. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. So what Paul is writing about here in chapter one, what he's praying for them is that, I, I hope that you're enlightened. I hope that your eyes are opened to see what is true about those of us who are in Christ. That we are actually called by him, that there's this inheritance that we have, that there's this power, and all of it belongs to who God is. And it's something that we're called toward, that we're called out of. This isn't something we get on our own, but something that's given to us from God. And so one of the things we've been saying is that our beliefs are only as powerful as the source. And so if the source of who I am comes just directly from me, I know that's a pretty weak source most of the time, because I'm inconsistent and I have weaknesses and I fail. But if the source comes from God and who he is and he is constant and I can trust him and what he says about me is true, 
all of a sudden then there's a lot stronger foundation to build those new narratives and that identity on. And so the first week we talked about how God has chosen us. This is something we see in in understanding God as a father, that he has adopted us into his family and that we we belong to the family of God now, not because we've earned it or we were good enough, but because he was good enough. And the father gets to choose who belongs in the family and he gets to say um, who's in and, and it's not determined by us. The second week we talked about uh, how Jesus has redeemed us. Talks about his death and resurrection and through uh, what he has done through his death and through his blood, he's forgiven us. He's redeemed us. He's actually, what the word redeemed means is that he's won us back. And so as far as those inadequacies can take us, as far as our sin and failure can go, he's able to reach out to those furthest points and bring us back to where we're supposed to be with him. And so this week, we're going to close out in a third uh, aspect of this identity that we have in God. And maybe you've noticed this if you've been tracking uh, along in each of these weeks. If not, go back and check out the other conversations. But we're kind of getting all these different uh, parts of our identity from God as a father, um, God as uh, the the son through Jesus. And then we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit today. So let's check that out here in verses 13 and 14. It's written that, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. So we've been walking through this identity that's founded in who God is. We understand God as who is his father as in the person of Jesus as the son. And now probably the most confusing part of these two verses is the word Holy Spirit. (laughs) And so um, I think it's gonna be helpful for us if we want to like build an identity on who God is, um, we need to actually understand what we're talking about when the Holy Spirit gets thrown into the context. Because what I found Um, is that for most of us, this needs explained more because traditionally uh, amongst Christians and in the church and just reading the Bible, that there's a lot of confusion and a lot of disagreement (laughs) about the Holy Spirit. And maybe you're nodding your head because you're like, yep, I I relate to that. I've, I've heard those disagreements. I've been confused when someone's tried to talk to me about the Holy Spirit before. Uh, but we want to build at least a solid of enough understanding and foundation so that we can understand what it means for our identity. We're not going to like do a whole hour long lecture on the Holy Spirit, if, if that would even be enough. But we want to at least have a baseline understanding so that we can uh, work off of it. And so we're going to talk through this in two ways. The first way for who is the Holy Spirit is we understand him as a person. And this is just the way the Bible talks about him. It's the way Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit. First, it's him, is this person, this being actually in just in understanding the whole scope of who the Holy Spirit is in the Bible. We call him the third person of the Trinity, which is a whole other thing we can't get into. But he is described throughout the Bible as a person, an actual being, someone who we can relate to, someone we can know. And, and the way that it's talked about that we understand who he is as a person is usually in this word of an advocate, an advocate who is with us forever. And so there's a few different places where like the Holy Spirit's role, like what he does is brought up in this word, him being an advocate or him being an advisor or a helper or an intercessor or a mediator. Like this is the kind of understanding we're supposed to have about what he is. It's the primary role, the primary function of, of who he is, is that he intercedes for us in this way. He's a stand between that. Um, he is, in a sense, the divine help 
that we need. For, for wherever we're at, like we need God to intervene in our lives in, in an increasingly invasive way. And the way he's going to do that is through the person of the Holy Spirit. And it's not gonna just be a one-time thing, like he is gonna be with us forever. And so I'll put a few different you know, Bible passages on here if you wanna go check it out later. Obviously there's more, but like in this one here, in John 14, Jesus is actually praying about how, how believers are going to receive the Holy Spirit. He would actually say that it's better that he die, be raised to life, and leave so that we can get the Holy Spirit than, he, than Jesus stay with us for the rest of our lives. And, and his disciples don't quite get that. And it's something we kind of have to piece together and understand why this is so significant, why Jesus is praying that it's better for us to have the Holy Spirit. And so when, when Ephesians says like the promised spirit, this is something that Jesus prayed for us. This is something that he, he promised, he said we would receive. And it's even something we see throughout the whole Bible. We see in other parts as well that it's something that God um, is doing and he wants to do in his people. Okay, the other way that we see God as a person is we see him um, in how we relate to him, that he can be grieved and he can be quenched. So these are maybe not always common words, but uh, we understand grieving, right? We understand that if you upset someone, that you can cause them pain, you can cause them hurt. And that this is a way, actually, that we understand the Holy Spirit, that if we're interacting with him and, and we continue to refuse and uh, to push away, that it grieves him. And even the idea of quenching, like in that context, it's more the sense of the Holy Spirit's trying to guide us, right? He's our advisor, he's our intercessor, he's advocating for us, and we're saying, actually, no thanks, we're saying, I, I don't want your help. I don't want your involvement. And, and there's this idea here of how we relate to him is that we're quenching him, we're shutting him out. These are relational ideas. And I think that's super important because we wanna make sure that we see him as a person that when we, when we talk about having the Holy Spirit, we're not just talking about some like um, ambiguous spiritual like feeling. We're talking about a person who is with us always. And so if I'm feeling like a lack of knowing what God's doing in my life, it's not because I need more of the Holy Spirit. If, a, if you're with me, like if a person is with me, you're, you're like totally there, unless you're texting on your phone or something. But you're there with me. I don't need to like pray, oh, I, I wish you, more of you was here. But what we understand about the Holy Spirit is that if we can quench him, if we can grieve him, he needs more of us. That, that the problem is that if this is relational, I, I may not be willing to interact with him in the role that he's been set up to have in my life. And so when we feel that distance and disengagement, like we, we don't need to ask for more of the Holy Spirit because we all, already have all of him. We, ha we have him as a person and we need to understand how do we relate to him better. Okay, so we understand him as a person. The other category that we need to understand the Holy Spirit in is that he also is a power. So this is the other tone that we, we hear the Holy Spirit talked about in. And sometimes it's both of these, sometimes it's one or the other, but we can't lose one over the other. We have to understand both of these categories because this is where the disagreement and the frustration, the confusion comes, is when we only talk about the Holy Spirit in one of these ways. And we only see him as a person. We understand that God's a part of our life, but we really don't really want to talk about the power or understand it. Or we just like are so fanatic about the Holy Spirit, but we don't understand that he's, he's just the person of God at work in our lives right now. And we become spiritually like fanatics about it. And so how is the Holy Spirit's power talked about in the Bible? Again, one of the ways we see this is that uh, the Holy Spirit is described as freeing us from our desires and giving us God's desires. So if you like, do a word search on the, on the Holy Spirit or the Spirit, 
you're going to find a lot of these passages where the Spirit is contrasted to me, to us. Contrasted to maybe what it calls the flesh or our desires. And basically what the contrast that's being shown is that we're going to have just like things that are natural part of like what, how we think life should go and who we think we are and, and the way we want our lives to go. And God's kind of putting up a contrast saying, just so you know, that kind of default idea, just kind of the way everyone else lives their life, that doesn't necessarily point you to me. That doesn't necessarily point you to my heart. That isn't, your desires don't always align with my desires. And so often the Holy Spirit will be contrasted here as showing like, hey, you need to understand that like your desires may actually push you further away from God. They may actually point you in the wrong direction. And, and if you believe that, you can be rescued from it. Like that's the invitation of the Holy Spirit is to say, I, I can now like, instead of only having this option, now I can see that there's an actual way toward the heart of God, toward like the life he wants for me. And it's opened by the Holy Spirit. I can understand it better. And I can um, explore that because he's shown me where this has taken me and he's showing me what's now available. And so that's, that's one of these points. We'll talk about it in a little bit. But um, if we don't see a problem with our desires and God's desires, if we don't see those things as contrasting, this won't feel like an awesome invitation. Like God wanting to give you the identity and walk into the life that he wants to give you won't seem like exciting if we don't see these as already conflicting within us. This is something we kind of have to begin to accept and begin to see. The other way that we see the Holy Spirit's power is not just in these conflicting desires, but also that uh, he enables us to live the life God calls us to. I don't know if you feel this way. Maybe you've been around church before or or you are a Jesus follower and you've been uh, trying to understand what it looks like for the Holy Spirit to be a part of your life. And it can be very uh, challenging to think about all these, these things that it's meant to follow, how it's meant, we're meant to follow God and what it means to be someone who uh, knows him and, and lives in an identity uh, that Jesus has given us. That can be like very challenging and seem like far beyond our reach, that we're not good enough, that there's no way we could possibly do that, that it's actually like a burden and it feels like overwhelming that I'm like, I can't do that. Like it's just too much on me. And really what we're not supposed to see is that God has called us to something. He's like, I hope you can get there. Like, good luck. It's hard for everyone. What he's saying is like, I I know that what I'm calling to you is a lot, but it's not too much. Because the thing that I'm equipping you with is myself. And not just myself as a person, but myself and my power to do the thing that I've called you to do. And so in a sense, he's not sending us out on our own. He's with us forever. And the thing he calls us to do we are uh, absolutely capable of doing because God himself says he's going to be the one who enables us to do that. Actually, that verse there in Romans 8, it talks about how the same spirit that uh, was in Jesus who raised him to life is the same spirit that we have. And so again, that same kind of parallel, like this kind of power that um, we are in awe of because of Jesus, who we uh, believe he is uniquely different from anyone else and he's worth giving our lives to. That same power that was at work in Jesus we know is still um, a part of um, our lives in the church today. So these are, are two really big categories. Um, and remember, we, we've been talking about how when we spend more time with God, that's when these narratives start to get rewritten. So I wanna make sure like, we understand who the Holy Spirit is, like what he's supposed to be doing in our life, 
and how we can interact with him. And I think the, the exciting part about this is that God has come to be with us. He's put a part of himself in us. He said that he'll be with us forever and he's not going to leave us. That if what I need to do is spend more time with him and I need to kind of like deprogram myself from what was normal and to begin to understand what it's like to interact with him and walk through life with him, the Holy Spirit is available to me. God is available to me as much as I need him. (laughs) You're not too needy for God. Like he has already given all of himself to you and he wants to be at work in your life. And so we, that should excite us. We should feel like that, that God is for us and that he has done everything to reveal himself and, and make himself known and be a part of our lives. So let's, let's take that understanding and push it back in, into the verses we were reading before. So here in verses 13 and 14 again, you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. So put that back in there. Here's the person of God and the power of God working in our lives that that we're gonna now begin to put this in context. And if we can, I guess, say that, okay, God has shown himself to be someone worth building my life on. He's given himself to me, the thing he's called me to, he's equipped me to do because of the the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, God's worth trusting at this level. Um, The next thing that I feel like I'm gonna ask is, um, Josh, how do I know that I have the Holy Spirit? (laughs) How do I know this is a reality for me and not just for someone out there who's a way better Christian than I am? How do I know that the Holy Spirit is actively at work in my life. And that's why I underline these words. The, the pathway we get here, I think, is, is the simplest, clearest way to understand that. That when we hear the gospel and we believe it, we are marked with a seal of the promised Holy Spirit. That, that literally steps understanding the gospel and responding to it in faith is, is how we know that we have the Holy Spirit. And for those of you who were nodding your heads when I was talking about the Holy Spirit being complicated and confusing, um, you've probably heard all the other things get packed into this conversation. That um, more often than not, um, if someone's trying to explain it to you or if you're interacting with people of other faith traditions, that it's not always dis- displayed or, or put out that simple. And I want to advocate that it, that it is. Uh, like, for instance... I know that, um, like for me, people have tried to complicate this in my own life uh, before, and it's very frustrating. It's very confusing for me, even like someone who would be a pastor, um, to, to have to interact with adding things to this pathway, to this, to this process, to knowing that I have, you know, the Holy Spirit, that you have the Holy Spirit. Uh, there was this one time where I was meeting at a Starbucks with a high school student, and um, I, I got to meet him when he first came to Grace Church. I actually got to pray with him out in the lobby and explain the gospel to him and uh, pray with him. And uh, he had been a Christian for about a year, and he had gone to our youth conference called Momentum Youth, and um, he was so excited about it. I mean, it's like a whole week deal. He took notes on everyone, and so there I am at the Starbucks, like, listening to everything he heard from the speakers and uh, running out of time. <laughs> like, um, I, it was, like, near the end of the day. I was going to go home. Uh, we were going to have life group that night. And I was like, listen, after an hour and a half, like, I get it. Momentum was awesome. Glad that, like, you got a ton out of it. Um, and it was fun. Like, it was, it was cool to see how God was working in his life. He was sharing just these different aspects of as a high school student where um, he felt like God was leading him. And, and I was excited for him. But as we were on our way out, 
um, I had gentlemen come up to us and say, hey, uh, I just want to stop you guys for a minute. Are, are you guys church people? And I'm like, oh man, where's this going to go? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, we, we go to a church like on Gent Road. It's called Grace Church. And he's like, well, I'm not even from around here. I'm from California and we're here for this reason or another. And he goes, when I meet church people, I just love to make sure that they have the Holy Spirit. And I'm like, well, we do. <laughs> I, I, like, this could be the end of this conversation. But instead, it went on for a whole hour <laughs> in the Starbucks. Like, I'm embarrassed, like anyone who was there that day. But then I, I like, felt so um, convicted, mostly for this high school student who is excited about what God is doing in his life, who understood the gospel, has been responding and believing in faith for the past year. And here someone comes along and tries to usurp that by saying, you're not as close enough to God as you think you are. And I wasn't going to have it. So I was like, this is going to go on for an hour or until I finally storm out. And uh, we were even laughing about it because like, I'm going to talk about this this weekend. Um, and, and people want to complicate it. And it is a complicated thing, but I, I, don't, um, I don't think I can stand for the idea that I'm going to doubt if God is actively at work in my life or if I can trust him or that if I have to do more to earn more of his person and his power, that it's freely given based upon the gospel. That's the good news. Actually, when I was talking with that high school student out in the lobby and explained the gospel to him, I took him to Ephesians 2. Just flip over one more page in your Bible or scroll down, whatever you're doing. Read Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. That's the gospel. We were dead in sin, but because of God's love and mercy for us, he made us alive with Christ because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, we who were dead are now alive. And the way we receive that is by grace through faith in Christ alone. That's it, that's the gospel. And it was easy enough for that high schooler to respond that day in faith. And that's the, the beautiful thing about this is that um, when we're understanding like how much do I have to understand to, to respond to the gospel, believing is way more about my, my heart and my willingness to respond to it than it is about my head knowledge. It's, it's way, the word actually means to entrust oneself to or uh, uh, to, to consider as trustworthy. Like I, not just like, I, I think I believe in God. It's, oh, I believe this is true. I believe I was dead in sin. I believe that God actually is the only one who has the power to make me alive again and that it's through Jesus, and it's by grace through faith in him alone. That, that, that this is gonna become core and essential, and I'm gonna say, I'm gonna stand on that. Like, I'm, I'm gonna put my faith in that, not just like, oh, I believe that, but that actually functions up and, and shows up in my life in a particular way, and I think this identity conversation is a great way to have it. And so one, may, one way we might summarize everything I was just saying is that weak faith in the true God is better than strong faith in something else. That if, if what we're defining faith as, if, if that if I'm willing to put my chips on this, if I'm, if I'm willing to stake it on this, no matter how like good enough I think I am or how much I have figured out, weak faith in the truth of who God is and the truth of the gospel is going to be way more um, firm for my identity, for my life, than is gonna be something else. One of the ways I read is that it's not the strength of your faith that saves you, but it's the object of your faith. What Am I, am I banking on to, to tell me who I am, to offer hope in life, to explain like what, what I'm doing here? 
And so that should be really liberating to those of us who are here this weekend, those of you who are exploring Jesus and you like want to understand it, you're, you're, you're trying to understand it, is that um, you don't have to have it all figured out. <laughs> like we don't have to like go through a whole Bible course to like for you to have a shot at having this identity that God offers you. But as, as, as um, uh, freeing as that is, it's just as challenging to us if we've been listening to this stuff over and over again and we, we've heard enough to believe and yet we won't commit. Because at some point, these sermons and you reading the Bible are, are going to be to build you up, not to help get you to that point of faith. And it's gonna be in the sense, do I, do I actually agree with God? Do I actually trust and believe that what he says is true and that I can trust him? And that's gonna be more of the challenge. Not if your faith is good enough, but really what, other, what are the other alternatives, the, the something else that maybe you're going to struggle to place your faith too much in? Something other than God. That's gonna be where uh, more of our energy should be spent to think through those something else's, those alternatives, to begin to um, challenge and, and resist those things, to um, think about where they're actually leading us. So that's, that's a very like personal question for you to answer today that like we, I can't just like explain every pathway that we possibly could go down. Um, but what am I going to be inclined to trust more than God for my identity? What am, what am I gonna place, be tempted to place more faith in than him himself? And my, my fear kind of like as a pastor um, and how I've had to journey through this over the past several years is that when I feel like something's wrong in my life, or I, I, I feel my inadequacy, I feel my failure, I, I start going through those scripts in my head, um, it's so easy to just go into Google and type my problem and get 150 different resources to try to answer that problem for me. Here's a blog, here's a podcast, here's 60 books. Apparently this guy's figured it out. Apparently these, all these people have figured it out and they have a ton of different solutions. And it can overwhelm me like, man, Everyone else has it figured out. I must be the biggest fool of them all. Like my weaknesses, my inadequacies are so great that I can't even do what this person's writing in this book or wrote in this blog. Like that, that doesn't work for me. And, and I feel inadequate. I feel like, man, they, they've laid out all this perfect way to like kind of fix the narrative and how to fix it on my own. But I feel like something's wrong with me. And the truth is there is something wrong with us. And the only way to be rescued from that is to understand this identity that God gives us. And so maybe just a challenge up front is if, if you're like me and you want to Google your problems, <laughs> um, I need to tell myself to slow down. If I know that the Holy Spirit is with me, if I, if I know that he's, his main role in my life is to help and intercede for me and that he is powerful enough to overcome the things in my life that would keep me back from experiencing and following Jesus, then my problem most of the time is just that I'm not willing to slow down enough and admit that I don't have an answer. I would like to solve it like that. And so for me, like I have to slow down. I have to slow down and begin to say, God, okay, what is it that you might wanna do in my life? Let me consider the Holy Spirit as my advocate. 
One of the ways I wanted to talk through this this weekend, like when you get to that point, and whether that happens 100 times a day or there's something like really big you're at a crossroads with, and you're like, I don't know if I'm gonna trust God with this thing. Um, I like to think of it as kind of like two different belief paths that you could go down. And uh, one of the ways I think about this playing out is actually with uh, kids. So um, I'm a parent, but before I was a parent, I was an uncle. And being an uncle is awesome. (laughs) Um, There's really no expectations on being an uncle. You can kind of do whatever you want and get away with it. And um, it's, it's a lot more fun to mess with your nieces and nephews than to like build into them and build their trust. It's way more fun to just like mess with them and see what you can get to do. So they may be like eating dinner and you're like, hey, if you eat your green vegetables, you will turn green. And like a four-year-old's like, no way. This is like terrifying to me and a great reason not to eat green vegetables. Or um, if you're, you know, talking again with like a young kid um, and and they think that cat is supposed to be spelled with a K and you're like, yeah, cat should be spelled with a K because it sounds like that, right? Like, yeah, you can convince a four-year-old. They're like, cat could be spelled with a K. I should believe this. My uncle is leading me down the greatest path ever. Um, And it's, as an uncle, my motives are just like, whatever, to have fun. As a parent, you are all the time trying to like abide for your kid's trust. You're like, just eat your vegetables. And they're like, I want cookies. And you're like, no, just, just vegetables. Like, this is what we made for you. You don't need cookies all day. Or you, like, my wife has had to do this in homeschooling. Like, cat is not spelled with a K, it's spelled with a C. But mom, it sounds like it. And what if my uncle told me, and also you're like, no, like, just trust me. Like, I'm your parent. I know more than you. I'm trying to lead you down the right path here. And this can be uh, one of the ways I think about these pathways playing is, is should we consider who it is that's trying to invite me to go down this path. Rather than just thinking like, I guess you could spell cat with a K, or I guess I don't need vegetables, or whatever. You know, those are just silly examples. What I'm saying is, consider the person who's inviting you down that pathway. Is it my loony uncle? (laughs) Or is it my loving father? Like, do I know the person who wrote this book? Do I know, like, how this is playing out in their life? Or did they just, like, find out one thing to sell and do I actually want the life that they have? It's, it's way uh, easier to think like this person has it all figured out or I guess I should trust them. They have sold a million books. They have a hundred, you know, thousands of followers, whatever. And to convince yourself like, you know what? They've probably got this figured out. But I'd really challenge us to, to say, okay, when we come to these crossroads, what kinds of questions are gonna be helpful for us to actually ask? Because remember, we said our beliefs are only as powerful as the source. So I'm saying, consider the source. Don't trust your uncle. Uh, <laughs> and parents out there, you know, you, like, you want your kids to trust you. You just want them to like, believe you. Like how much more do I have to explain before you believe? And so here's kind of these two pathways, the way I see it. One is this idea of the self-narrative. And the way that this pathway sounds is way more aligned with what do I want out of life? And who do I want to be? Those kinds of questions begin to put me in the driver's seat. That like, I can get out of life whatever I want to. I can, Disney was right. I can be whatever I want to be. And all of a sudden we can begin to, to, to be sold into answering these questions. And I think like this pathway is one of the ones that leads to us feeling inadequate well, how come I don't feel like I can be good enough? Because you, you thought you were supposed to be. <laughs> like what, one of the freeing and liberating things about the, the Christian faith is that we know we're not good enough. And, and that's why we look to Jesus as the one who is good enough. We don't, we don't try to answer the, the questions of our life on our own with our, only our own lens and our own interest in mind. But this is often like 
the default way that we begin to, to think. And again, it's not all bad. I'm just trying to show one of the ways we begin to think down this pathway. And I want to show that it can, how it can lead us away from God. Because you can answer these questions and you, be, you can become a better business person. You can become a better parent. You can find all sorts of great principles to learn. I'm not like dissing any of that. What I'm saying is you can learn all sorts of things to be who you want to be and never learn anything about God. You can never learn anything about who it is he's called you to be. And for me as a pastor, that's the scary thing when there's an unlimited amount of resources for you to Google and to tell you the answer to those questions. Is that we will spend way more time trying to like build your own identity based upon this person I like and that person I like or whatever than seeing that they're actually missing something very important. That people want to tell me about our world without talking about the creator who made it. That people want to tell us about our bodies without talking about the one who calls our body his temple. That people want to tell us about love and what they've figured out about it without talking about the one who's laid his life down in love for us. They want to talk about justice, right? Without talking about the one who is just and who is, is powerful enough to make things right. We want to talk about relationships and learn everything about that, but we don't want to talk about the God who's a God of forgiveness and a God of sacrifice. We want to learn more about work, right? And what it means to be the best, you know, business person we could be. And when really we totally leave out what God has shown us about his mission, how he's gifted us, how he's given us rest, and how really the whole world is spinning because of him, not because of us. Do you see how that could be dangerous? Do you see how I could run down this pathway just in, in an intent of wanting to be better at my job only to land at a place where I've put the whole weight of the world on me, that I haven't actually understood the God who actually holds everything in his hands, the one who is sovereign, he's in control of all things, the one who actually gifts me with rest and says, this is for you because I've got it. I'm going to push back and I want us to begin to actually challenge these, that there are actually flaws down this pathway. And you're not going to read them in the book. You're not going to hear them on the podcast. Like people are going to tell you their thing's awesome. But there's a danger to only spending our lives answering these questions. And I think we're going to bump up against our inadequacies in a way more unhelpful way than we will through the other path. And I think this is a starting point. I think that like my own journey has been like, I go down this pathway all the time. It just feels right. Like, I want to be a better person. I, I want to, like, understand, like, how to get the most out of life better. But what I end up doing is I start answering those questions on my own, and I get frustrated, and people let me down, and I feel discouraged, and I'm like, I thought I could do this, and I'm just not disciplined enough, and, I'm, I, and my whole identity gets messed up because it was staked on how well I could carry it out. And that's a starting point for you to begin to be interested in what it might look like for God to give you your identity, not for you to write your own self-narrative. I think we have to get to that point of like, this isn't working. <laughs> like, this isn't working for me. This is frustrating. Like, everyone seems like they have it together and they have the answer for, you, for me, but it's never good enough. And so what does it look like to go down this other pathway, the, the God narrative pathway? Well, you start asking a whole different set of questions you begin to ask questions more like, what does God want for my life? And who does he say that I am? And this can be um, a very challenging part because 
these two pathways do literally push us in two different directions. Like who God calls me to be isn't who I always wanna be. I don't always wanna be on stage giving a message. <laughs> but sometimes I get thrown up here. I, I don't always want to have to be the one who extends forgiveness or the one who offers compassion or the one who goes to the marginalized. And not that I'm doing that perfectly, but these things that God calls us to aren't necessarily the things I would choose to build my life on every time. And so this is challenging. God begins to say, this is what I want for your life. And it can be like, oh man, that sounds really hard and uncomfortable. But then that's why I also have to remember, I'm not just trying to become this great God person. I have the Holy Spirit. I have the person and power of God. I have an identity in him that I'm chosen, I'm redeemed, I'm sealed to actually fulfill that mission, that thing he's calling me to. Another place in the Bible would actually say, it talks about in these two different pathways, it talks about the message of the gospel being foolishness to some, but to those of us who are saved, who are being saved, that we see it as the very power of God. That like actually when we know where that path, the other pathway can take us, we're like, I just don't want to go down that anymore. Like, it's exhausting. Like, it lets me down so much. Like, is there any other way to go with my life? And God's saying, yes. Like, yes, there is. Like, that's the beauty of the gospel, is it seems like foolishness if you're like, would you like to give your life away to this? It's like, I really don't. Like, this sounds way better. But if you've explored this pathway enough, if you've been let down, if you've seen like it, do, it just leads you to the same place, now all of a sudden it seems like actually the power of God is the only thing that's going to rescue me from me. So for that first pathway, we need to like expose some of the flaws. What aren't they telling us? What are they leaving out? What are they leaving about, out about God, about me, about their answers? And what I need to begin to do to understand what it means to have an identity in God's narrative is I need to see it as a fulfilling counter-narrative. I need to see it as better. And the way I do that is by starting to ask God, what do you want to do? Maybe God wants to do something with you that you've never been open to or something that you didn't put value on at first because no one else around you places value on it. But God does. And if you can begin to have clarity on that, if you can begin to see the beauty of what God's calling you to and the truth of who he says you are and despite your inadequacies that he's going to do the work and it's not gonna be just on your own skill and discipline, then I can just supply, uh, rely on him to supply for that need. I don't have to just rely on myself. I can say, okay, God, well then how are you going to help me do that? One of, the, one of the ways I think we could say this is that if you want to see how powerless the self-narrative path is, begin to see how powerful the God-narrative path is. Begin to like see what God wants to do in your life. But there's, we have so many answers. We, have so, we can be so quick to shut it down, to say it doesn't make sense, that we won't even be open to it. It is challenging I don't put these two pathways up to make it seem like how dare you ever go down the other pathway. I'm saying like the choice is always before us. It's like always before me. Like I am always having to fight against like my own desires that may lead me away from God to the difficult, challenging thing that maybe the Lord is saying, this is how I wanna use you. Will you let me? Will you let me do this? I don't think that's like a one-time thing. 
I think it is when we first understand the gospel and believe and we're like, I'm going down that path for the first time ever. But there's nothing that has led me to believe in, in reading about the Holy Spirit that like once we have him, we never wrestle with this, this conflicting pathway ever again. That this is something for some reason, I'm still inadequate, I still struggle. Does that mean the Holy Spirit's not good enough? No, it just means I'm glad Jesus gave him to me forever. <laughs> I'm glad that he chose to be with me. I'm glad that he chose when I felt inadequate and weak and that I couldn't do it or that I did fail, that he's like, that's okay because it's on me. You're who I say you are. We're, you're chosen, you're redeemed, you're sealed. And that's where I wanna land on this last one. He says that we've been sealed. That means two things. One thing that that means is actually that we've been marked by God, that like we have his, his sign of ownership on us. So like, a, like in the ancient world, they would have signet rings and they would like push it into wax and it would be the mark of, the, of representing that who the sender was. And so some of that is playing out here that God's saying like, you are mine, you belong to me and you're, you're sent out on behalf of me. You're not just going out like back into life on your own authority, um, back in, into the same, the same way that you came out of it. But now you are mine. You're no longer de de defined by your inadequacies. That's not what defines your identity now. Through the gospel, it's God who defines me now. He has say over every part of my life. And there's no way that I can really pursue that pathway without his help. That's why the Holy Spirit is so amazing. This resource, the person of God, the power of God with us forever. So it's the mark of ownership. That's one part of it. The other part of God's healing us that's so incredibly freeing is that our security is in him. We were talking about how like we face these pathways over and over again. And you're going to bump up against your inadequacy. Pastors do. People who, who really want to follow God still fall short. And you can feel like I, I'm still not good enough. Like I got up on stage and talked about this and I, I still don't feel good enough. And God's saying, you were never supposed to feel that way. <laughs> I, I didn't promise you that. I didn't promise you like you would feel great about yourself. He would say, no, you need to trust me. You, you need to understand that what you're talking about is me, not you. <laughs> he, he says that the Holy Spirit is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance, guaranteeing the life that God wants to give us. We have the Holy Spirit now. We experience part of it now. We still wrestle, right? We still struggle. But the transaction is gonna happen. God will fully choose us, fully redeem us, fully seal us. He will make all things new. He is the one who created the world, created us, who has defined love, has defined justice, and will make all things right again. And so in, in a sense, the Holy Spirit is, is a promise to me is, my, is, is a part of my hope in saying that I know that God is who he says he is and that he will do what he says he will do. That I don't have to worry about just figuring out life on my own. But some of the ways I will bump up against this the most is when I actually have to choose. I, I, I'm forced at that pathway and say, actually God, I, I just like keep ignoring you on this and I don't trust you and I, I need to. I would say throughout this whole series, it has taken, um, it, it, it was frustrating to me a little bit having to close it up because I'm like, man, this has already been so much self-reflection. 
Um, and it's hard to make it practical. And um, some of the ways I just thought about closing this out, like a series on identity, all this, this different stuff we're talking about is, first of all, do I believe the gospel? Again, we've, we've mentioned it a couple times. Go read Ephesians 2. We were dead in sin, made alive by God because of his love and mercy through the person of Jesus. Have I heard that? Am I adding stuff onto that? Do, have I entrusted my life to Jesus? Am I living with the person and power of the Holy Spirit? Or, or, or is it just getting lost? I would encourage you that if, if you haven't responded to the gospel, that I'm trying to simplify it to show you all that's needed is to understand what God says about himself and what he says about us. And to say, I, I'll operate that way. When, when I keep coming to these different pathways, I'm not going to decide which book's better. I'm going to trust him. I'm going to keep coming back to him. And that's what I would say is the, the other thing. Maybe you have believed the gospel and, and you've come to that pathway over and over and over again. And you're like, man, I don't, I don't know why I can't just always believe what God says about me. And that's the wonderful thing about the Holy Spirit being our security is that you always have the freedom to come back. That he actually will, will come after us and, and he will begin to say, no, no, no. Like, let me lead you back to God's heart. Let me enable you to live the life that I've called you to. Let me rescue you from this thing that's taking you away from me. And so one of the things I've been doing just to become better at self-reflecting because I'm not good at it is if I think of questions that really pierce my heart, things that I need to think about more, I'll just write them down in a note in my phone. And then I'll find times maybe on the weekend or, or in an evening or even like on a break where I might just like write some things out on it. I might like force myself to slow down and to stop. I, I think we're gonna need to do things like that. I think if we're ever gonna have an identity that is, is firmly found in God where we begin to hear him inviting us down a pathway back to his heart and his mission, we have to slow down enough and, and say no to some other stuff to begin to hear him more clearly, to begin to actually put our trust in him and so I just write down those questions from the pathways. You know, what does God want for my life and who does he say I am? To think on that, to remember that, to more firmly and confidently believe it may uh, just be one of the greatest outcomes of this series. And so I pray, I pray that for your, us and um, I invite the band to come out. And I'd love to close us and just give us uh, some time. Father, um, Thank you for revealing yourself, for making yourself known. Um, it's really overwhelming to try to explain um, just what you've done for us, to try to pack everything in um, because there's so much to understand. There's so much to experience and enjoy. But God, what I just pray over our church is that um, you would uh, help those of us who are at these crossroads and... Um, we feel like we, we don't know how um, to know you, to, to experience this identity. It's so easy to just try to navigate life on our own. And so I pray that you would become more real to us uh, this weekend. I pray that uh, for those of us who, who are struggling with faith, that um, we would see your worth putting our trust in and that um, the other narratives are, are just gonna lead us away from you. Um, I pray for those of us who are overwhelmed and feel insecure because we 
we know that our inadequacies don't line up with the identity you've called us to. And God, uh, that's why we trust you. Um, We trust uh, who you say we are. We trust your love for us. We trust um, what you would call us to do despite um, our failure, our sin, and inadequacy. And um, pray that we would trust you more. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen.